Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. Well, today we are continuing on our First Responders series. So you might remember those that were here the last couple of weeks. We had uh, Walter uh, um, bring a message and then we had uh, Jacob bring a message last week on First Responders. And so that's our series for this month. And so as I was thinking about uh, sort of this, this topic, I was reminded of a, of a story that happened not all that long ago. It was just... Late last year, it was in fact the very last day of, uh, of youth uh, for the year. And so we'd planned this, this big uh, sort of celebration Christmas feast as, uh, as we do every year. And uh, I was a bit late in getting here, so I sort of rocked up, came here, got, uh, got into the car park. And there's always lots of fun and activity in the car park um, at youth every time, you know, different activities going on and different things like that. So I start walking through the car park, lots of kids around, and uh, Alicia comes over and throws this Christmas hat on me that had been knitted, this knitted, you know, sort of Santa's hat. And uh, as she's doing that, then Annalise, one of the other uh, youth kids, uh, comes over to me and goes, Josh, there's a fire! And so I kind of thought, oh, you know... JP in the kitchen, he's like done something wrong, there's a fire in the kitchen, but I look up and I see all this smoke. And so again, my first response is run towards the, the smoke, see, see what's wrong, see what JP and the rest of the team have done wrong. Um, but as I start moving towards the smoke, I realise that it's not actually coming from the church or anywhere on the church grounds, that it was uh, at one of the houses just, uh, just near uh, the church. So knowing that house and uh, knowing the people that live there, that there's a, there's a couple that, that, uh, that both live there, as I start to uh, approach this really thick black smoke that's just bellowing out, um, all of a sudden I can hear one voice, uh, the, the man's voice that lives there. But I can't hear... The, the lady's voice. So I, I didn't know what to do. So my first response again, as I said, was just to, to run in uh, to, to make sure that everybody was, was safe. And you couldn't see your hand in front of your, your face. It was the, the smoke was that thick and that, and that black. But anyway, as I was about to, to run in, uh, Sarah also uh, rocks up. She had just driven up the road and she sees me run in to the smoke, and so she follows in close behind me. So we go in there, and it uh, turns out that uh, the lady wasn't home, uh, thankfully, and uh, the man was in a bit of shock, but he was out of the house, and so he was sort of going to be okay. Um, so we made sure that we rescued the, the birds, there were some pet birds that were there, so we, we got them out and they were, they were all safe. Uh, but then there was all these uh, oil cans that were actually in the flames and there was gas canisters because the reason that the fire had started in the first place was the gas barbecue. So as I'm gathering up these different oil cans that the outside was already on fire and I'm taking them out of the fire 
Um, Sarah comes in and she disconnects the gas bottle in the immense heat, um, pulls it out so that no further explosion was going to take place. So then once we know that everybody, every bird is, is safe and, and out and there's not going to be an explosion, we start with the, with, the, uh, with the garden hoses. And so for 20 minutes we were there um, fighting this, this fire with, with garden hoses and we managed to put it out, which was amazing. And uh, after 20 minutes, uh, the, the, uh, the, the fireys showed up and they said, great job. And uh, they also then reminded me that I still had my Christmas hat on, uh, which was a knitted hat, so it was very fire retardant, so that, that, was, that was great. Um, so we then headed back to youth and, uh, you know, we were covered in, sh- in soot, covered in, in ash, and, and we were, you know, black, and, um, but we still headed back to youth. And as we started to head back, Sarah starts to say, well... Josh, I'm, I'm not actually feeling so good. Do you mind if instead of being at youth, can I just go and lie down in your office for a, for a moment? And so I say, yeah, that's fine. So I go down to, to unlock the office and as we start to go down the passageway to my office, she starts to collapse. So I quickly grab her, throw her in the car and uh, take her to the emergency room and uh, just as we arrive at the emergency room, she loses consciousness. And uh, she's there and, and uh, she was suffering the effects of the smoke inhalation from going in and, and uh, fighting that fire. And so as Belinda and I were there, you know, for, for several hours, and as Sarah is there on this ventilator gasping for air, every breath that she's taking causing pain... And she's crying out in pain and she's just like, you know, she's just like, am I going to die? Like, because every breath is just an effort. And in that moment, I'm sure, like many of the parents in the room, you start to blame yourself, don't you? You start to think, was my first response the right one. I mean, she was just following me. If I hadn't have made the choices that I made, if I hadn't decided to do what I did, she would not be in that situation right now. And so my first response was causing me to have second thoughts. I mean, if I had the opportunity to do it all over again, knowing now, knowing then what I knew now, that the lady was out that she wasn't even home. Knowing that my actions could cause someone that I care about to be in pain. Knowing, talking to the owner of the house, that he, when he, when he thanked me for putting the fire out, but then kind of said, you know, I kind of wish that you had have let it burn because the insurance money would have meant that I got a new house. So knowing all of that, would I have still made that first response that I did had I got to do it all over again? And as I said, I'm sure that we've all been there. We've all been standing there face to face with the consequences of our decisions, going, how did I get here? 
This is not where I wanted to be. This is not what I wanted to do. And we can feel exactly like Paul felt when he said this in Romans 7. He said, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. I don't know if anyone else can relate. I don't know if anyone else has set those New Year's resolutions and here we are, you know, day 16 of the year and are we kind of saying, you know, about our, you know, the different decisions, the, the desires that we have, have we 16 days in had the ability to be able to bring them to pass? The problem is, is that quite often our first response is less of a response and more a reaction. That we often act first and kind of think later. The other problem is, is that although Disney might tell you, you know, just follow your heart, the Bible actually says, the complete opposite. It says in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is the most deceitful thing there is and desperately wicked. No one can really know how bad it is. So if that is true, if the Bible is true, which I believe it is, then our first response, our first reaction is probably going to be a bad one, a selfish one. And I think if you're like me, then in those moments, like in that hospital room, in the moments of life where the consequences of our actions, of our decisions are starting to, to come home to us, we can kind of think, if only, you know, if I could have any superpower. I know that some people would wish for x-ray vision or some people might wish for, for super strength but I know some of the parents in the room would probably, in moments like that, they would wish for the superpower of hindsight, of foresight, of insight, to know what decision to make. That if we knew the outcome of every decision before we make it, we would make better choices. Or so we think. Because if I'm honest... I think if I did actually have that superpower, the gift of hindsight, foresight, insight, and I knew exactly what I could do and get away with it, I think I would actually be worse off than what I am now. Because if I knew that I could do something and get away with it, that if I could see that the decisions that I make, that, that the consequences are not going to come back on me, then I probably still wouldn't choose things that are in line with God's will for my life, in line with the direction that the Holy Spirit is leading me in any given moment. I think even if we assume that we are going to 
you know, be the best version of ourselves on our, on our very best day, if we could make the best decisions, I think that would fall for us into three categories. That we want to do good, that we want to think good, and we want to be good. I think all of us would agree with that. And I think that the different generations in the room actually put different importance on those different things. We all think that all three of those are important. But I think that the different generations place different importance on different things. So for the old generation, I think the most important thing is to do good. To make sure that your moral character is the best that it can be. I think for the middle-aged people like me, information, making an informed decision, thinking right is kind of the most important. And then for the younger generation, it's all about being good, being tolerant, making sure that you hold an opinion that isn't offensive to anyone. So then these kind of characteristics, these kind of the different weights that we place onto these three things are also reflected in our Christian walk. For those of us that call ourselves Christian, the way that we interact with our God is often reflected by our desire to actually put these things first. So some people that think that do good should come first, they want messages all about morality. They want a list of do's and don'ts. Because being a good Christian, being a good person, is all about if you don't smoke, don't drink, don't swear, don't look at pornography. So that if we get to the point in our life where you know, we can hit our, you know, if we're hammering in a nail and we accidentally miss and we hit our hand, instead of letting something bad <coughs> fly out of our mouth, we say, praise the Lord. <laughs> that is the measure of a true Christian for those who think that doing good is of first importance. And then other people who think that of first importance is the thinking good, they want messages all about good advice. Again, a list of do's and don'ts, but if you want to be a good parent, do these things, don't do those things. If you want to be a good spouse, do these things, don't do these things. And again, if we're Pentecostal, we love prophecy. Because if a prophecy can give you information that no one else has, information about the pandemic, about the government, about the restrictions, information about the end times, about blood moons, about all these different things that then we can know and, and no one else does, then we can make wise choices. We can end up with the right house, with the right job, with good kids who do good things and that is the measure of what 
a Christian is, someone that has made wise choices based on the right information. And then the third group of people who place being good of first importance, they love encouraging, uplifting messages, all about purpose and calling and how they are chosen. Messages all about God's love, not about the wrath of God that maybe the first category kind of like and, and want to hear. No, they want to hear messages about how they are acceptable just as they are, that they just need to have more faith in themselves. And if their first response is a warm and happy feeling when they're in a large group of tolerant people, then that is what makes them a Christian. So have I successfully offended everybody yet? You see, it's not that any of these things are bad things. It's not that we shouldn't do any of these things. But the Bible talks about idolatry, that idolatry is this idea that when something is a good thing, that we actually make an ultimate thing. Something that should come in second or third or fourth place, that we actually then put into that first place. That that then becomes our first response. And you see, even within the church, we have made idols out of Christian things. We have made idols out of Christian living rather than living with Christ. So remember that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. And do you know the problem with deception? It's so deceptive that it's actually we who deceive ourselves or our very own heart that deceives us, that fools us. We think if we can do good, think good, be good, that we are good. That that is the main thing. And they are good things, but they're not great things. It's not the ultimate thing. You see, the reason that we do good can be selfish. Because we want the right to tell other people to do the good that we are doing. We want to be able to walk down the street and feel safe because we want everybody to do what we are doing. And if everybody just did what we are doing, then we can walk down the street and feel safe. Or so we think. But why do we want that? Because we want our lives to be comfortable. We want to make the world a better place for me. We want to think right. So that we choose the right job and make the right investments with our money. We have those good kids because it makes my life better. Plus, if 
if I know what the government doesn't know and 99% of doctors don't know, then people will come to me for advice and I'll be the centre. The reason that we want to be good is so again, if I can choose the right partner, do what I'm passionate about, what fulfills my purpose and my calling, then I will be happy. And according to my heart, life is ultimately about what makes me happy. Right? Maybe not. Every day I uh, walk or we walk our dogs. We have two golden retriever dogs. And uh, every day we uh, walk them here to church. We have this great play area that's all fenced off. And so we bring them here. We let them off the lead. They can run around on the grass. And uh, they also um, get given any leftover food that might be here. I hate waste. And uh, the dogs are motivated by food almost as much as I am. So they love coming here in the mornings. But I use that food motivation to try and train them. I don't know if any of you have dogs that use treats. So I keep little treats in, in my pocket, little liver treats that I hand out to them to, to train them to get them to do what we want them to do. And so one of the things that we're training them to do is to actually sit at every road crossing that they come to. So every road crossing... We stop, we get them to sit, when they sit, they get a treat. And the reason for that is, of course, because uh, I, we love our dogs and we want them to be safe. And because Lola is, is so motivated by people, she has learned, one of the things that she has learned is that within these metal contraptions that drive along the road called cars, there's a person in every car. And she wants to meet every person in every car that she can possibly see. And so every time a car comes down the driveway, she races up to the car. <clears throat> and so, of course, caring for her and wanting her to be, <clears throat> to be safe, we're trying to teach her not to run up to cars. So I think, well, if she can be trained to stop at every road, if she did happen to get out, maybe that half second that she might just sit instead of running across the road might just save her life. And they're pretty obedient and they do it most of the time. But just this last week I was walking the dogs and we got to the, we got to the road and they could see my hand go into my pocket to start to go for the treat. And so rather than sit, they just both, they stopped and they stood there and they both just stared at my hand in my pocket. They're sitting there and they're staring. And they're not moving, they're being very good, they're being very obedient, but they're just, they're not sitting, they're just, they're staring at my hand. And then they see my hand come out of my pocket holding the treats. But then... I'm not giving them the treat because they're not, they're not sitting. And so they're looking at me literally with these puppy dog eyes saying, why are you withholding this treat from me? 
And it was in that moment that I realised that their motivation and my motivation was two very different things. That although every other time it seemed that our motivations lined up because it seemed as though from their actions that they were kind of getting what I was doing. But in that moment, it was revealed that their motivation was for the treat and for the treat only, whereas my motivation was their safety, was their life. And so I'm standing there on the side of the road, literally talking to the dying to train, saying, for years, I've been trying to train you guys. Can't you see my heart? Can't you see what I'm trying to... I'm, I'm not withholding from you because I don't love you. I, I, I care for you. Can't you see what I'm trying to do? It's not about the treat. It's about your life. I, I just wish you could understand... And as I'm saying that, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and he says, I, I know just how you feel because I feel the same about you. That sometimes you do good, you think good, you be good. You, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't swear, you're faithful to your wife, you study the Bible every day. You read my word, you're passionate about it, you're passionate about your calling, you've given up a higher paying job to come and be here to do this. But can't you see my heart? Sometimes you've just been following the treat. You've been trying to live your life without regret rather than with me. I don't want you to just live your life without regret. I want you to live your life with me. I want you to see, I, I cry out the same thing. I just, I'm not withholding things from you because I'm trying to punish you. I'm not withholding good things from you because I, I don't want what's good for you. There are times when I will withhold things from you because I love you. Because I actually want you to put me first. That although, just like for the dogs, it looked like that our motivations were the same and lined up, that sometimes my actions reveal that I don't fully trust God. I don't fully trust God with my future. I don't fully trust God. I just want the things that God has to offer. said, can't you see that I love you? And I just want you to love me too, to love me first. You see, our first response should be not just to find God useful. God is useful. His love laws are there for our benefit. Everything that he does is for our benefit. And if you follow them and if you do them, and if you think them, and if you be them, then your life is going to be better. Because biblical principles work. But he says, I don't just want you to 
find me useful. He says, I want you to first find me beautiful. And again, Revelation 2 holds a key that we need to understand. It says, repent and do the works of love that you did at first. And again, just as I've been going through those three things, as I read out that passage, our heart might go to one of three words in that passage, if we can have that back up. For some of us, our heart is drawn towards that idea of repent. Yes, we need to repent. For some of us, our, our eyes are drawn towards that do the works. So we focus on the works. And for some, it's drawn to the love part. But we actually need them all together. It's actually not about any one of those three things. It's about placing God first. If we put repentance first, maybe we might stop doing all the bad stuff, but we will have no vision of what to do. If we put works first, above everything else, our lives will become all about performance and we'll constantly be under pressure to always make the right decision. If we put love first, above everything else, love alone with no basis, nothing against which, against which to measure it by, love without basis is just a feeling and feelings come and go. We feel things one day but then we don't the next. So what do we do when we don't feel love anymore but when we put him first all of these three things come into alignment we can repent and turn away from sin because we are not out of obligation but out of appreciation of what he first did for us and our love can be founded and grounded on the finished work of the cross, because love should always be willing to pay something. It should be willing for a cost to be, to be paid. And Jesus first loved us and demonstrated that so clearly for us upon the cross when he was willing for it to cost even his very own life. He was willing for it to cost everything. And so because he loved us first, we can then love Him. So what does this look like practically for us in 2022? How can we make sure that just like Charlie and Lola, that we're not just looking the part? How can we make sure that we're not just following morality or wisdom or feelings above everything else, that we're actually making sure that we put God first. What does that practically look like? How do we make sure 
that God is our first reaction rather than our last response. Luke 7 gives us an indication. It says this, One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house. He took his place at the table. There was a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. She learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with a special jar of perfume. She stood behind Jesus and cried at his feet. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. The Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this and he said to himself, If this man was a prophet, he would know who was touching him. He would know what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed a lot of money to a certain leader. One owed him 500 silver coins. The other owed him 50 silver coins. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he let them go without paying. Which one will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who owed the most money. You're right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman. He said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water to wash my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman has not stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You did not put olive oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. So I tell you this, her sins have been forgiven. She has shown that she understands this by her great acts of love. But whoever has been forgiven only a little, loves only a little. This is what it looks like. That occasionally there's going to be times where we're not just following the treats. We're not just following out of obedience. Where our acts aren't just acts of obligation because they've been asked of us. That random acts of radical love done out of gratitude. I wonder what random acts of love and gratitude God has in store for you in 2022. As we plan our year, we think of all the acts of obligation that we have. We think of all the meetings, all the rosters, all the appointments, all the ways that we should react, the ways that we should be moral, the things that we should do, the things that we should say. We think of our obligations in 2022. But I believe God is saying, put me first and you'll think less of your obligations and more of your love. Ways to show love, not out of obligation, not out of duty. 
And this coming from this woman, the most unlikely one in the room. You see, she wasn't invited. She wasn't welcome. She wasn't clean. She wasn't obligated. She wasn't unaware of how she was perceived. But also, she was not deterred. There are things that are going to try and deter you from doing those acts of love as we think about ourselves, rather than on what God did. As we think about, does that person really deserve my love? The answer is probably no. But God says, give it anyway, because I did that for you. A few years ago, I got asked by a family member to join them at, a, at an auction. They were looking at a house that they wanted to buy. I was used to the house prices in Murray Bridge, and so when the bidding started at $600,000, I was a little bit taken back. But there were four parties that were all interested in buying this particular house. So it didn't stay at $600,000, it went to $700,000, $800,000, And then at that moment, this... <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't want to be responsible for such a, a large decision. I haven't researched this house, I don't know what your budget is, I don't know any of that. I said, what I do know is people. So I said... Of these, you're one of these four parties. I said, this guy over here, he's done. He's not going to put any more bids in. This other couple over there by the tree, they've got one more price rise in them. This, this other couple standing over here in front of the four-wheel drive over there, they've got two more bids. So I said, if, if you're willing to go three more bids... It'll be just over the million dollars and it'll be yours. If, if that is what you want to do and if that was within your budget. But the question is, do you want it more than they do? And it played out exactly as I said and they ended up with the house. But how did I know that? Because every person has their limits. And it's shown on their face and it's shown in their actions. I didn't know anything about the value of the house. I didn't know what their budgets were. But I simply watched the people. Because everybody has their limit. And in this story, the, the Pharisees, they were moral. They held morality above everything else, but they had their limit. And when it was going to cost them something, they pulled out of the bid. The disciples, they knew Jesus. They had the knowledge. They had the inside story. But even they had their limits. And so again, when it was going to cost them something, they pulled out of the bid. But the funny thing was, of everybody in that room, Jesus and this woman, this sinful woman, 
God, were limitless. They had no limit to their love. And Jesus says, do you want to know how to live limitless? Do you want to know how to live limitless in 2022? And Jesus said, it's not about trying harder or earning more or having more or doing more or being more. There's only one thing that this woman had more than everybody else. And that was debt. That was sin. Her debt was greater. That's the story that Jesus was telling. And so he says to them, as he says to us, stop trying to earn. Stop trying to earn favor. They tried to earn everything. They tried to earn acceptance. They tried to earn being okay. They tried to earn through having position, having title. And everything was focused on earning. But when anything was going to cost them, their answer was always no. They pulled out of the bid. She only had debt. And she knew it. So her love was limitless. The interesting thing is they said to Jesus, if you had better information, if you had the gift of hindsight, foresight, insight into who this lady was, your first response would be different. You would not be showing her the love and acceptance that you are showing her. You would reject her as your first response if you knew what we knew. She doesn't think good, do good, be good. But Jesus says, I do see her as I see you. And I don't care what she has done. I see who she is. You've labelled her as sinner. I label her as forgiven. And so I would not change my first response. But he says, maybe we should all change ours. So back in that hospital room at midnight, while Sarah is there grasping for air, and me playing that what-if game, what if I had done things differently? And again, Jesus spoke to me and said, don't blame yourself, Sarah will be okay. You don't need to know the outcome of every single decision before you step in. You don't need to know that it's going to turn out okay before you act. Because I don't just want you to make decisions based on what's going to be the best outcome for you. I want you to make decisions. I want you, church, to make decisions in 2022 based on what is the right thing to do? So he says, I'm glad that you didn't step out when everybody else was stepping out, when the, the guy that was renting the house stepped out, when everybody else stepped out and you stepped in. 
and Sarah stepped in. That's the kind of people that I want because that is exactly what I did for you. When you were grasping for air, when you didn't have enough, when you didn't know if you were going to be enough, when you didn't know if you were going to survive and you were grasping for air, I stepped in for you. I put you first. So place me first in all that you do. Don't be dictated to by what is the best outcome for you. But let time, love for God, always be our first response. Then we will live limitless lives of unending forgiveness. Would you stand with me so I can pray for us? Father, we want to thank you for your limitless love. We want to thank you that you first loved us. You demonstrated that by dying on the cross for us, by showing us your limitless love. Father, if we have put other things first, right now we choose to lay them down. We choose to lay them at your feet. Thinking good, doing good, being good. They are all good things. But Father, your love is a great thing. Your love is a wonderful thing. Father, help us to not live our lives through 2022 playing that what-if game, paralyzed by fear, worried by anxiety about making wrong decisions, about feeling as though we need to know the outcome before we can take that first step. Father, I pray that our first response will be to you and to you alone. That we won't just follow the treats, that we'll follow the treat giver, the one who gives us life and life eternal. So, Father, I pray you would be with each of us now in Jesus' mighty name. Just as we're still in this attitude of prayer, I wasn't going to say this, but we've got a little bit of extra time. And I know that when I was reading that story about the sinful woman, I know that some of you in this room have identified yourself, if you were to label yourself, that that label of sinner would be something that you would call of yourself and you don't know how to get rid of that label. It's an interesting thing. I I told that story about, about the fire and the fire was intense. The fire was, was, was so great. 
But after time, after that 20 minutes with enough water, even that raging fire was put out. That we know that a huge fire and a little water, the water will succumb to the fire. But a lot of water and a little fire and the fire will succumb to the water. Whatever is greater come to what will will be whatever is lesser will succumb to what is greater. And what we need to know this morning church is that we have sin. We have sin in our life and we're wondering how to get rid of it. But all we need to do is come into the presence of something greater. Because our sin, our fear, our worry, our anxiety will always succumb to something greater. And the only thing that is greater, doesn't matter how big your fear is, doesn't matter how big your guilt, your shame, your worry, your anxiety is, if you bring that to the feet of Jesus, everything will succumb to the power and the blood of Jesus. Everything, no matter how big, no matter how small. If you've got a big debt, just like in the story that Jesus told, then this morning come to the altar and let your sins, let your debt be repaid. Let your sins be forgiven because there is one who is greater than everything in this room and everything will succumb to his power and his glory. Let's worship. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.